If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19, as we continue to make our way through the book of Genesis. Today we wrestle with this question, will God really judge the earth? Today's text is one that you probably have some knowledge of. We are wrestling with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a story that becomes infamous throughout the prophets of the Old Testament as a byword for judgment. It is a word in which Paul and Peter and Jude and John and Revelation and even Jesus himself refer to this event. In fact, the very word Sodom is a word that is, indicates a heinous act that brings upon swift and deserving punishment for those who are guilty. In fact, for many, the story of Sodom is an affirmation of the angry God of the Old Testament. For others, it is the vindication that God views homosexuality as vileness. But I think this text for all of us forces each of us to stare at our own depravity. It causes each of us to contemplate the judgment of God and His mercy. And then we're reminded as the story comes to a close that the sin of Sodom isn't finished there. You see, I think as it comes to this subject of judgment, some of us ignore the reality of it. For others, we try to distract ourselves with our lives and all that we have going on. For others, they just don't believe it's actually going to come about, that there is going to even be a judgment. But Genesis 19 is one of those sobering realities and reminders to us all. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And in the midst of this, we're going to still hear this hopeful refrain that God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. It's a beautiful moment. So if you were with us last week, you hear some of the background of the story. Genesis 18 and 19 really work together. In Genesis 18, these three visitors show up to Abraham and begin to share with him the truth that, guess what? Sodom and Gomorrah is this grievous, wicked place and that God's going to destroy it and the surrounding cities. And so part of that story is, is that Abraham begins to intercede on their behalf, praying, God, if there might be 50 or 40 or 30 or 20, God, if there's even 10 righteous in that city, will you destroy it? God says, listen, if there's even 10 righteous there, I won't destroy it. And so two of those visitors leave and head towards Sodom and Gomorrah, who we find out to be angels and begin to wrestle with these truths as we walk through Genesis 19. And the first one is this, don't look away from our depravity. Don't look away from our depravity. Genesis chapter 19, 1 to 11. It says in verse 1, the two angels. So again, these are two of the three visitors that showed up there uh, with Abraham. And it says, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So the two angels show up, and the story in some way is a reminder or refrain, again, of the same way Abraham had just treated them, right? There's this sense of hospitality, and we talked about that well last week. And so they're enjoying this meal together, but soon the story changes as verse 4 begins to unfold. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. 
And so the text begins this moment of, of reminding us, right, that in Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. We begin to get a clearer picture. These angels have gone into the city now, and it's starting to reveal the fact that, guess what it says there again? All the men in the city. Do you notice that? All the people to the last man, young and old, they're all there at Lot's door, demanding they may come out. It says that we may know them. Now, translations like the CSB and NIV are more explicit as they say this, that we can have sex with them. It's an intense moment as the men of the city come and they openly and proudly wave their flag at the door of Lot's house. In fact, Isaiah describes this moment referring to it as Isaiah 3 and 9. He says, look, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. In the midst of their prideful rebellion, God says, woe. Woe, this is not the way. There's a way. It's a warning of judgment. But Isaiah says this is a prideful, bold-faced approach. That they're not hiding it. They're just openly out in there. And so listen to what happens Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Years ago, I wrote in my Bible next to verse 8, One word, two letters, followed by an exclamation point. No. No. And this is, again, I think this gives us some glimmer. We talked about last week, the expectation of hospitality in that culture was so high, right? It was such an indication on your character. I mean, so his attempt to protect his visitors is absolutely noble, but not at the cost of his two daughters, It's a reminder, as Pastor Jim Hamilton says, we can't pit one of God's virtues, hospitality, against another one of his virtues, protecting our children. In other words, this, God will never place you and I in a position where the only option we have is to choose sin. How do I know that? Because 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 tells us that. It says, no temptation has seized you and I except what is common to man. And that God is faithful. He will not tempt you and I beyond what we can bear. But when he does, when we do experience this, he says he will also provide a way of escape, a way out. And so there's this moment in which, again, this, this, we're wrestling, right? I mean, how could a man offer his two daughters? And I think it made me ask us a, an important question in the men here. What's it even mean to be a man? I think surely the scriptures would say to us that it's, it's protecting, it's providing and leading women well. So to the men in this room this morning, I want to ask you, are you protecting your wife, your children, your grandchildren? Maybe more generally to all of us here this morning, might we ask, who has God placed in my life that maybe I need to do a better job protecting? We're left to wonder now, like, well, what will be their response? Will they say, send out those girls to us or what will happen? Listen to what happens again in this unbelievable story. But they said... Stand back. And then they said further, this fellow came to sojourn. He's speak, they're speaking of a lot. He says, like, hey, you're an outsider. And he's become the judge? 
Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. It says, but the men reached out their hands. So the angels reach out their hands and they bring Lot back into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Is the screen not working again? And so listen, there's this moment like these men, look, they, they refuse these two women, which is some indication of how twisted their minds have become. I mean, it's as Romans 1 says to us, right, that, that there's this sense of this unnatural relation, that this, it calls it a perversion. But the two angels in this moment pull Lot back into the house and they strike all the men with blindness. Now, we might think, listen, that would be enough, right? I mean, like, surely that'll humble them and terrify them. But it doesn't. Again, this is why you bring your copy of God's Word, right? We're thankful for the screen, but man, when it doesn't work, we just keep trucking, right? Look at verse 11. It says, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Beloved, this is the depth of our depravity. That despite the judgment of God, we keep groping incessantly for our sin because we want it. To those here today who have loved ones and friends who are struggling with homosexuality, this is a reminder the only thing that will change them is the only thing that will change you and I. The salvation of God. The judgment of God alone is not enough. Do you see that? It's not just simply, oh, if something happened, it'll trigger. No, we desperately, I mean, this should compel each of us. Again, specifically, those of us who know and care about ones who are enslaved to this way of life, it ought to cause us to cast ourselves at the Lord's feet and beg for mercy on their behalf. We ought to be an intercessor like Abraham, crying out for them. But this text, it does. It does remind us why we oppose homosexuality. And it's not because we're better or we know better or we're whatever than others. No, beloved, we oppose homosexuality because God opposes homosexuality. You see, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 has given God's design for what sexual relationships are to happen. And it's between one, bi- one biological man and one biological woman in a covenant relationship called marriage. That's God's design, beloved, and this is opposed to that. And so anything against God's good design and His attention of His Word, we, as God's people, must call it sin. In love. For those who are pursuing homosexual relationships, beloved, we must warn them. Because listen to how, again, I referenced it earlier, but listen to how the New Testament picks up on some of the story. Jude chapter 7 and 2 Peter 2. Jude, Jude, not chapter 7, Jude chapter, there's only one chapter, right? Verse 7. It says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires. So again, he says, it's contrary to nature. This is not how God intended and, and, and set up our desires. It's unnatural. Listen what he says. They serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Peter says something similar. Second Peter 2, verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Did you hear it? Both... Jude and Peter say that this becomes an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Church, in our love for those who are pursuing homosexuality, we can't shrink back from God's Word. Because to tell them it's okay, to say that God won't judge that, 
not only are you deceiving them about the judgment that's to come, but in fact, you're deceiving yourself. And all the ungodly, that's what he says. Listen, it's an example of what's going to happen to all the ungodly. So do you see it? Like when you begin to loosen your stance on the view of homosexuality or really any sin, what soon happens is you begin to loosen your stance on other areas of sin. You begin to shrink back from the judgment of God. Beloved, that's why, again, we preach through book by book, chapter by chapter, because it causes us to confront issues just like this that we need to hear in our culture and our day. The story turns now and it pivots back to Lot and his families and the struggles they have as they look to flee the judgment. And we come to our second truth. Fear God's judgment and rejoice in God's mercy. Fear God's judgment and rejoice in God's mercy. It says in verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you any... So the the angels, right, are speaking to him. Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. This is this moment here, verse 13. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against it, its people, has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. He goes to these two men right here who are, are the men that are set to marry his daughters, and they laugh. They doubt the judgment of God. I mean, in some way, doesn't that sound like the world and culture in which we live? There's little or no fear of God. No fear or belief that there's any kind of judgment that's actually coming. You see, it wasn't so in the 1700s. When a man by the name of George Whitfield was preaching, we at nights as a family try to spend some time just reading different biographies of different Christians. And we just finished the story of George Whitfield this last week, and so it remains fresh on my heart and mind. But one of the remarkable things about Whitfield was is God gave him a voice that literally he was able to be heard over two miles away. He preaches often in the outdoors and he preaches to coal miners and farmers and the least of these. But he's preaching one night at a service in Scotland and the service continues until 2 a.m. Listen to the account of one of those who was present. He described it in this way. There were scenes of uncontrollable distress like a field of battle. All nights in the fields might be heard the voice of prayer and praise. You see, when the Spirit of God moves, when the Spirit of God moves, people begin to contemplate their eternity. They begin to realize that it could be this day, this hour, that you and I may not make it till tomorrow, that we may at this moment stand before the judge of all the earth. There's a seriousness to the moment. There's an intensity to the moment. There's often, as it's been said, when the Spirit of God's moving, there's a great silence amongst the congregation. People are drawn in to hear, and God's Word is speaking forth and and coming hard, convicting, and drawing sinners to repentance. In light of that, this morning, this text, I want to ask you, where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? eternity lots sons-in-laws laughed about that question i pray it's no laughing matter for you the story unfolds further in verse 15 it says as morning dawn the angels urged lot saying up 
Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor or Zoar. In the midst of pending judgment, did you hear what Lot did in verse 16? He lingered. Maybe he's struggling to leave it all behind. I don't know what he's wrestling with. But I think we all know about lingering, don't we? I think we've all had moments where at some point we've doubted the truthfulness of God's word. And what do we see these angels doing? Notice what it says. They seized Lot. Right? They take him by the hand. They grab him and his wife and his two daughters. And then Moses emphatically says to us in verse 16 there, it's the Lord being merciful to him. In the midst of great judgment, beloved, we see God's mercy triumphing over his judgment. And God in his mercy allows Lot to escape to this nearby city. This, in fact, is a call in the midst of judgment to rejoice. It's a call to have hope that each of us this morning stands also ready to face the judgment of God. But in God's kindness, he's brought you here this morning to hear this word from his word. And the hope that God intends also to bring you out. And beloved, the good news is, is that God just didn't send an angel to bring you and I out. He sent his only begotten son. And you see what Jesus does. He doesn't simply just bring us out by going with us. No, he says, I'll stay and take the judgment that you may go free. Christ himself takes on the judgment and the wrath of God. Christ Himself comes and stands before God as a ruined sinner, as us, right? God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in Christ, you and I might become the very righteousness of God. It's the hope of judgment. It's the hope of God's mercy and His grace. This morning, are you thankful for the God who's willing to linger with you? This morning, are you thankful for the God who's willing to take your hand? If so, maybe you might be singing the old song, When my way groweth drear, precious Lord, linger nearer. When my light is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. Precious Lord, Take my hand. You're hearing the refrain, right, of Genesis right here. Lead me on. Let me stand. I'm tired. I'm weak. And I'm warm. Through the storm and through the night. Lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. You can hear that song, can't you? That's like the refrain of Genesis 19 singing in our souls. Beloved, I want to urge you this morning, stop lingering. Cry out to God that you might have forgiveness 
and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because in and our sin, you and I are destined to face the judgment and wrath of God for all eternity. It's the most terrifying fact I can tell you today. That there's a God who stands ready to judge your and my soul. And the only escape is that there's a precious Lord that's willing to take your hand by offering His only begotten Son that if you would believe on Him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. While we hope and rejoice in God's mercy this morning, as we've said often, right, and I can still hear the refrain of the old preacher saying, God's delays are not God's denials. The judgment that is coming upon Sodom is indeed coming for us all. But listen to what happens as again he flees to Zoar, Zor. The sun, verse 23, again back in Genesis 19, had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The text indicates that almost as soon as Lot enters Zor, that the fire, the sulfur, the judgment of God and his wick, for the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities begins to rain down. The commentators have, have wondered exactly what all did this imply or what does this mean, this judgment of God, what was happening. Moses doesn't tell us, but he does tell us, so we have no, no lack of doubt this. In verse 24, and fire from the Lord out of heaven. This is no like natural disaster that's just coincidental happening in that moment. Moses wants everyone to know this is the judgment of God coming. And in verse 25, we hear the terrifying news that is all the inhabitants, all the inhabitants experience this judgment. Beloved, none of us will escape the judgment of God. There's only one rescue. Mark shared it with you earlier as we began. Acts 4 and 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to all people by which they must be saved. It is only the name of Jesus. But in fact, verse 26, look at it there as you look at your word. Even Lot's wife looks back. Rejecting the warning of the angels in verse 17 to not do that very thing. Some hear that and think, man, how could God be so harsh? I mean, she just looked back, right? But this, this text isn't indicating like, oh, she had this like, oops moment. Like, oops, I shouldn't have looked back and I did. It indicates that there's something deeper happening in her heart. There's a longing for the sin of Sodom. In fact, Jesus himself picks up on this in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, and gives only three words, but three powerful words in the midst of speaking about judgment. And he simply says this. Remember Lot's wife. Don't, don't miss it, he says. Don't forget this story. Lot's wife, she looked back, she longed. As Pastor Kevin Young says, all of us will experience the judgment of the city we identify with. If this world is your treasure, then you'll experience its judgment. But beloved, if heaven is your heart's desire, then you will experience everlasting joy and peace. The story of judgment closes with these words here. In verse 27, it says, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. 
So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he had overthrown the cities in which Lot had lived. We likely hear this story and assume, well, that's the end of that. But the truth is we know better. And one of the reasons we know better is because the story of Sodom and Gomorrah echoes so much the story of the flood. You see, the story here finishes with saying that God remembered Abraham. Well, guess what? In the midst of the flood, that's how it kind of, remember, talked that we, we led to this epic point in the story. It says, but God remembered Noah. It's this reminder. But again, think about the similarities in the story of Noah and what's going to unfold as this chapter closes. This, it's a tough moment coming. But Noah gets off the ark and he gets drunk. And one of his children see him naked and that begins, brings forth ultimately the curse upon Canaan. Well, guess what? Out of this judgment, what we're going to find is Lot's going to get drunk. He's going to have this messed up encounter with his daughters. And I think it reminds us of this third and last truth. Don't be deceived. Sodom still lives. Don't be deceived this morning. Sodom still lives. Here's the closing of the chapter, and then we'll make a few brief comments. Now Lot went up, verse 30 of Genesis 19, Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with them, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Genesis 19 is one of those chapters in the Bible where you probably take it and be like, is this really the Bible, man? I mean, the vileness that's... So Lot and his family flee and they, they go to a cave... And the daughters believe that there's no way for them to find anyone else, right, as a husband. And so they devise their plan, and their plan is to get dad drunk. Not one night, but two nights in a row. And they go in, and they lie with him. As a man once said, in that cave, Sodom was reborn. The refrain is a reminder that God's judgment alone will not change our sinful hearts. Furthermore, might it be just a necessary application to all of us, a warning of the danger of alcohol or drug or any other pill that begins to alter your mind. Beloved, there is a warning from this text. Lot's reminder to us, guess what? We all needed, Lot needed boundaries and we all need boundaries. Lot desperately needed self-control. Yes, his daughters are acting wickedly, folly so. But beloved, if he exercises self-control, this moment doesn't come about. And the good news is, guess what? The strength for Lot, guess what, beloved? It ultimately comes to us from the Lord. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, one of those is self-control. Yet even from this dark ending of Genesis chapter 19 comes hope. Because from the family line of Moab 
comes a Moabitess named Ruth who will flee to Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, she will meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. And they will, he will redeem her and they will become, the two will become one flesh and they will have a son named Obed who will have a son named Jesse, who will have a son named King David. And from that line will ultimately come Jesus, who is the Christ. It is indeed the words of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What was intended for evil in that cave, God intended for good. How great is our God, beloved. To the unbeliever this morning, I must leave you with a stern warning from Jesus himself when he told his disciples that those who reject the good news of this gospel that was preached unto you this morning. He says, if you hear this word and reject it, you are in for greater judgment than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to these words. Matthew 10, 14 to 15. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words. Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, listen to Christ. This is what he says. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Beloved, it is no small thing to reject this gospel. No small thing. To reject the only offer of salvation through the Son of God. Jesus Christ delivers the warning to the unbeliever, to the skeptic. Beloved, I urge you, look to Christ that you might find forgiveness and everlasting life. To the church this morning, I think there's something we should consider. You see, the story, remember Abraham and Lot, their kinsmen were all arguing. And and Abraham says, listen, you you come and you decide. If if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. Remember, Lot, he he looked to the east and he saw this land towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It says it was like the, the garden of God. He thought it was like Eden himself. And he goes there, pursuing what he thinks will most satisfy him and what his eyes judge is best. But he leaves with the land destroyed. His wife and sons-in-law is dead. He and his daughters in a mess. Let this be a warning to the church that if we follow our own wisdom and what we think is best, it will lead this church astray. Beloved, we must hold fast to the true and only gospel. It is the only hope on which we will stand. All other ground church is sinking sand and it will prove every city of man will experience the judgment of God. There is only one city that will save you. Are you seeking the kingdom that is above or the kingdom of this world? Genesis 19 is a fresh warning to us all. Judgment is coming, but God's mercy triumphed over his judgment in the cross of Jesus Christ. Flee to him for refuge and salvation. For as Paul says, Maybe it's Peter. That the judge is already standing at the door. Why don't we pause? Go to the Lord in a word of thanks, but maybe just a word of humble meditation. This is one of those heavy texts that causes us to be silent just for a few moments. Father, we hear this word. Man, it is a word of stiff warning and judgment. A reminder of our own depravity. Before we look to others and think, oh, this is about them, we should first say, God, this text is about me. 
Lord, let there be a humility. Let there be a fear of God that strikes all of our souls in hearing this text today. Father, we also come with pleading on behalf of those that we love and care about, whether they're our family or they're our friends, who have given themselves to these unnatural desires, who are pursuing homosexuality. Lord, we love them, but more than that, you love them. And God, I thank you that you are able to bring out of darkness and into light because that is each and every one of our own testimonies. So, Lord, we come to you this morning on behalf of those who are enslaved to homosexuality. Lord, that you would deliver them, that you would bring them out. Father, that in your kindness you would lead each of us to repentance this morning. Because our hearts are so hardened, Lord, despite your judgment, we won't turn. So, God, we appeal to you this day that you would change our hearts, that you, your kindness leads us to repentance. Lord, we love you because you first love us. Oh, God, please draw everyone to you this morning. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus himself said, remember Lot's wife. Lord, let us hear this story and not forget it. Let it be one that reminds us and warns us all the days of our lives. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, which brings this word to bear on each heart and mind that's here. Father, I pray that there will be none who resist you, but every one of us in this room will willingly and joyfully submit and surrender all to you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.